Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey everybody, welcome to the nation. That's Barbecue Nation. I'm JT high atop the radio world in our Turn It, Don't Burn It studios here in Portland, Oregon. And we welcome all of our affiliates on the Barbecue Nation radio network. We'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef. Uh, beef the way nature intended. And that's what I'm going to tell you every week because it is true. Um, my guest today is a very interesting man and a very learned man. He's a recovering lawyer. I'll put it that way. Uh, Adrian Miller is an American culinary uh, historian, public policy advisor. He's the author of Soul Food and won a 2014 James Beard Foundation Book Award. Um, he's done lots of things. He's been an advisor to the president, President Clinton, back in the day. And Adrian, welcome. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Uh, your new book is fascinating to me. Um, one, because I'm a history buff little known fact. And the other is the fact that it is about um, black Americans and African Americans in the, uh, <clears throat> as you call it, the United States of barbecue. What prompted mm -hmm. you, first of all, Adrian, this is the standard question you're going to get in 9 million interviews, as you know, what prompted you to write the book? All right, I'm ready. Okay. So I got a two, yeah, got a two part answer for you. So first of all, it was really because I was writing this book on soul food. And anybody who's kind of steeped in soul food culture, especially going to soul food restaurants, you know that there's usually a barbecue option on the menu. Sure. And then so, yeah, and then so many black run soul, uh, barbecue joints have soul food side dishes. So I just thought, hey, really understand soul food. I need to learn more about barbecue. Um, and then the other part that really kind of put me on the path of this book was as I just started watching more and more television shows newspaper articles, magazine articles, and other things about barbecue, I just noticed that African-Americans were not really mentioned that often. And that was crazy to me because, uh, you know, that was not, that did not square with my experience with barbecue. Right. It's a huge part of black culture. The, you know, when, you, if you, if you delve into history at all, and I'm not just talking about cooking history or barbecue history, but history at all tells us that, um, black people had such a huge influence, uh, whether they were brought over here in the slaver times or whether they came here on their own volition, um, you know, and the native Americans and stuff. And so many of those, uh, folks added so much to our food along with our culture. I was really surprised that they had been left out to the degree they had, you know, once I really got into your book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was the tripped out thing to me because this is, but the thing that's interesting is this is all fairly recent. I mean, it was really into the 1990s that that started because before that it was no big deal to mention African-Americans in any kind of barbecue media. 
uh, because they were such, you know, a part of the story. Sure. So, um, yeah, this is really recent that this has been happening. Um, and unfortunately, it's happening at a time when a lot of people who I don't think were, were you know, into barbecue are now into it. I mean, barbecue is hugely popular right now. And so I think a lot of people are coming to it and not getting the full story. Well, especially in the last year or so when we've had the crazy pandemic and stuff. I don't know. You live in the Denver area. I don't know in your area, but I know here that it was very difficult at times if you went to like an Ace Hardware store or somebody, someplace else that you shop for your barbecue supplies. <laughs> it was very difficult to to get any after a while because yep. people were home and they were like, okay, Bob's going to get a new grill this week and he's going to go out on the deck and he's finally going to ha- learn how to cook, you know, that brisket <laughs> or whatever. And yeah, exactly. And yeah. it was just really tough. And so I think the timing of the book is, is really appropriate, but why do you think that was that all of a sudden from the nineties forward, was that really from the advent of, well, KCBS had been around, but they really started pushing um, the barbecue competitions. And I'm not pointing a finger at KCBS. I'm just saying barbecue competitions started to come to life. Uh, we saw more barbecue restaurants in parts of the country, Adrian, that normally didn't have a lot of them start popping up. I mean, what was what was the root of this? Yeah, so I think there were two kind of parallel tracks going here. So one is that, like you said, in the late 80s, early 90s, barbecue just started becoming hugely popular. But the second thing I think was most notable was the rise of something we call foodies. Yep. So these are the people who are, you know, taking pictures of their food. Um, they're very adventuresome, willing to travel for authentic food experiences. Uh, and then um, to meet, to cater to this group, we had a, a rise in food media. That's when the Food Network starts. And you start to see some of the storied publications like Gourmet and Bon Appetit starting to do more barbecue coverage. So at the very time that foodies were very interested in barbecue, you know, they're asking two questions what's barbecue and where can I get the good stuff? And the people who were deciding who to spotlight, what stories to get told, they weren't interested in giving a shine to African-Americans for a number of reasons. So the very experts that were put in front of people were tended to be um, various white dudes who barbecue, as I call it. Sure. So, uh, you know, the competition guy, you've got kind of the Bubba type, the working class kind of guy, the hipster with interesting facial hair, glasses, <laughs> and uh, then the, the tokes who smoke is that the nickname. So the fine dining chefs. Yeah. Because fine dining chefs were never really into barbecue before the way they are now. Oh, it's it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. I mean, I interview yeah. these people for a living and I can tell you that, you know, a handful of years ago or maybe a little longer, they never would have considered dropping down a level as they never mm-hmm. say that out loud, but you can tell that that's what they think. <laughs> you know, they yeah. would, they would, that's, that's a pit. There's no, you know, uh, I, I'm not sauteing things, uh, you know, in fine white wine or whatever. It, it's, that's not it. That's like, that's outside. It's dirty. And I'll get my white chef's frock dirty. So I'm not going to do that now. It's like, right. boy, they're all in. Yep. Yeah. And as you, you know, as you speak to, right, barbecue had this working class vibe. I mean, yes. it was very labor intensive. Uh, it wasn't glamorous. I mean, people certainly appreciated the results, but uh, yeah. So it was just outside the fine dining space, but that's no longer the case. as you know. No, because you could do, 
Well, we talk about it a lot on this show, as you can imagine. But, you know, I grew up, I grew up on a little ranch. You know, we would have weekend barbecues, friends out from the city, that type of thing. The the food probably wasn't very good. In fact, I know it wasn't, especially the chicken, because we didn't have the right equipment that I learned later on in life, nor did we have the proper technique. You know, 500 degree charcoal is not good for chicken straight away, you know. So, yeah, but... But it's true. I mean, if you think about it, um, and you obviously have, you think back on some of those shows, there were very few black people on those shows starting right. in, in that. And, and But yet again, as we stated right at the beginning of the interview, it, it has so much input into the history yeah. and also the, the technique of cooking. That's what I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, because look, if you go back to newspapers, and I'm talking about as early as 1830s, mm-hmm. they were describing what a legitimate barbecue was, right? A legitimate Southern barbecue. At that time, they called it Virginia barbecue. That's yeah. how closely barbecue was associated with that state. And they would say you had to get, in the language of the time, they would say you'd have to get a Negro man or a colored man to do this, this, and this. So African Americans were integral to what authentic barbecue was. Right. Um, yeah, and that that was just about just well the way it is, the way it was. Well, I can tell you this: when I got out of college, which I'm older than you, so it was in the previous century. Let me put it that way. So, <laughs> but my brother, we're here. Here we are, two white guys, and he says, "I'm going to take you to the best barbecue in Portland." And granted, we did mm-hmm. not have a lot of uh, mm-hmm. barbecue in Portland. And he took me over off 92nd Avenue, which doesn't mean anything to anybody unless you live here. And I believe it was called Cooper's, but I'm not sure Mm because it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. But there was an elderly black guy there. And I got to tell you, I have never forgotten that experience, what we ate. And, of course, like you were saying, kind of a a bit of a foodie. Mm -hmm. I I wanted he had like three different sauces and one Mm -hmm. was, you know medium, normal, whatever you want to call it. Other was a little spicy. And the third one was, you better be sure you want to try this. And so when I said, I'd like to try your spicy, he he came over and he put his hand on me. He goes, you seem like a nice guy. (laughs) Are you, are you sure you want to try this? And I said, well, I'd try it on one bite. That's all it took because he knocked me out of the park on that. I mean, I almost fell out of my chair. It was so bloody hot, but I mean, the flavor was good, but the after effects were tough. I'll yeah. <laughs> tell you that. But I am, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'm just, I'm so glad you brought up that anecdote because that brings together so many things. So, yeah. what I talk about in the book is that you know, because African Americans were so associated with barbecue, they became barbecue ambassadors. So, in a lot of far flung places outside the American South, usually it was an African American who kind of kickstarted mm-hmm. the local barbecue scene. And most people I talk to, especially of a certain age, when you ask them, hey, who did you get your first taste of barbecue from? They mention an African-American. So, yeah. you know, that that is not surprise. And then also, that is just part of the culture. I've got my own version of that story here in Denver. There was a place called M&D's Barbecue. It's closed now, but they had a very incendiary sauce as well. So much so <laughs> that when you ordered it, the, the server would say, nah, baby, you don't want that. Yeah. 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 You just like, you need, you know, you need a hazmat suit and gloves and, you know, a fire extinguisher for your mouth and, and, you know, health insurance and that kind of stuff. I've, I've, I've been down that road, like we talked about, but yeah, uh, but that first experience was, I'm sorry, Adrian, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that, 
Cooper's was just this little shacky place, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and it had like four tables in it, maybe five, and it wasn't very right. big, and it, mm-hmm. it it just smelled of of smoke and barbecue, which I loved. You know, a lot of people yeah. may wouldn't have liked that. Now I think people understand right. barbecue a little more, but man, it yeah. was just so great. Um, we are going to take a quick break. Adrian Miller and I will be back and talk some more about black smoke and experiences in African-American barbecue right after this on Barbecue Nation. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. If you'd like to email us, you can go to the Barbecue Nation website, which is barbecuenationjt.com. And there's a little icon there. You can send me a message, which will get to me. You can also contact us on Facebook or Twitter or any of the 9 million different platforms we're on out there. Um, But it's all good. We're talking with Adrian Miller here, whose new book just hit the market here short. uh, I don't know what, a week ago, two weeks ago, Adrian, something like that. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Black Smoke. It's got 22 great recipes. Um, Adrian's also a James Beard uh, winning author there. You also worked in the White House and uh, you've been a policy advisor to other political figures. Any of those guys that you ever worked for call you and say, hey, I'm going to um, I'm going to Dallas. You got any recommendations for barbecue there? No, they haven't. And I'm really upset that sorry, President Clinton hasn't you know, hollered at me about that. Because <laughs> if there's one dude, well, he's vegan now, so maybe he won't do it. Yeah. Quickly. But yeah, if there was one guy I worked for who would have done that, it was definitely him. I've, I've heard stories about the various barbecue that he brought aboard Air Force One, and, and several presidents have done that. Sure. Um, you know, yeah, I know Bush did it too. That he was, mm-hmm. he had a he had a favorite joint there in Texas. I don't know if it was Risky's or one of the smaller places, but you know they would bring in forty pounds of ribs or whatever. I, I read <laughs> stories about that. You know, and they were like, "We're not taking any calls on the way back to Washington. Everybody just enjoy." You know, like, yeah. yep. <laughs> so how long? Uh, another standard question, Adrian. How long did it take you to research and and put this book together? So technically, um, because I really started doing this in the kind of mid 2000s. So, you know, we're talking about 14 years of research. Wow. But I think, um, well, now look, the thing I have to qualify is I did have a job. So this was kind of a side hustle. Sure. Um, But I think if I were to still the whole time, I would say probably three and a half years of work, um, reading newspaper articles, historical sources. And then, you know, because I cared so much about my research, I had to uh, sample it to the country. Yeah. 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 I have to sample hands on. I get it. You know, it's, yeah. there's nothing, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Now I wanted to talk to you about, um, you bring up some very interesting characters in your book, real people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got one out here in the Northwest from Seattle and you've got that. So, so I just wanted to um, to go over a couple of those. How did you find out about these these folks? Well, Papa Miller, everybody kind of that's really into barbecue knew a little bit about Papa Miller, but you go into great detail there. But yes, mm-hmm. but so the the 
Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, how did you have to, did you go back to Kansas City and look for relatives? And I know you've probably found newspaper articles and things like that. And there's a lot of historical um, legends and things, but how did you find out more about these guys? Yeah. So the biggest boon to my research and all of my books has been historical newspapers. Sure. So we have companies now that are digitizing, um, including the Library of Congress, actually, is digitizing a lot of these old sources. So, um, you know, sometimes these people come to me in different ways. Um, in interviews, somebody will mention someone, you know, like you mentioned the Coopers, right? Yeah. And then I'll just try to follow that lead. Um, so some of it came up in other historical books um, where they would just mention, and I was like, oh, let me do a deeper dive here. But it was really just the historical newspapers because, you know, newspapers are about capturing the daily life of a community. So uh, a journalist reporter is going to actually take the time to find out a little bit more about what's going on behind the scenes, more than you would find in a book, per se. Sure. Well, one of the reasons I like uh, – we, have, a, we uh, have an affiliate in Oklahoma uh, City, but I also have spent – a lot of time in Oklahoma, my years of travel and stuff. I have a lot of friends there. You know, I can't tell you how many barbecue pits we've eaten at over the years. I couldn't even really name them now because every time I go there, we would try to dig out a new one and do that. But Oklahoma, if, here's a little history lesson for you folks. Oklahoma was really, um, if you'll allow me this, Adrian, a melting pot between African-Americans and the Native Americans like the Cher mm -hmm. Cherokee and, and those, my, my father-in-law was born in Oklahoma and he was part Indian, um, mm -hmm. you know, that type of thing. So mm -hmm. that really, to me, Oklahoma is always one of the big places that has a really, if you will, bouillabaisse bays of cooking techniques, especially when it comes to barbecue. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Um, and you know, the thing that just, uh, Here's my hair out, and I'm, I'm almost bald, so you would laugh at that if we were, if we were in studio. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just like a lot of this stuff wasn't documented. So we get inferences, we get hints, we get suggestions. Um, but, yeah, so I had to kind of read through the lines and in, 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 uh, between the lines and historical sources to kind of suss that stuff out. But, yeah, you know, you see a whole bunch of stuff going on in Oklahoma, and I think it's underappreciated. And, um you know, I, I think somebody should take a closer, closer look at just the culinary history of that state. You know, we hear so much about Texas yes. and other places. But, yeah, I think Oklahoma has a rich story to tell. Well, they do. Uh, like I said, not to be redundant, but when the the mixture and and the the Indians that live there, the Native Americans, they were friendly to the black culture. They liked the black culture for the most part. A lot of them uh, intermarried and, and did things like that, that we don't think too much of today at all. But back in the 1800s, you know, in the mm -hmm. early 1900s, that was kind of a big deal. But uh, that blending of culture really has some great food. And like you said, you know, Jesus, you can't get away from Texas is bigger, better, stronger, faster, shoot straighter, all that stuff, you know. <laughs> so. Well, I have to say this. I mean, I, I would argue, I don't know if you agree with this, but I would say that now Central Texas barbecue is the default barbecue style in our country. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's because Texans are just such great cheerleaders. Oh, they are. America. They are. Yeah. They are. And yeah. if you go, like you say, in that Central, you know, San Antonio, Austin, in that area up there, like that, there are so many famous um, not just Aaron Franklin. Mm -hmm. Aaron's kind of a Johnny come lately compared, 
compared mm-hmm. to Mueller's and some of these guys, um, mm-hmm. Tootsie's Place and all that. And that really did set the tone for that kind of Central Western barbecue style, I think. So, uh, because it, interestingly, even in a place like Denver, I've been to Milwaukee, all these places that I went to, the newer generation barbecue joints are all mimicking the Central Texas style. Yeah. Uh, which is just really interesting to me. So. Yeah, and but a lot of them don't have it exactly. I will say that. They're, <laughs> they're trying really hard, and I give them kudos for that. Would you agree with that? Or <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. So I agree. <laughs> yeah. And to your point, you know, not everybody's meant to make brisket. We're going to take another break. Adrian and I will be back and talk more about his book, Black Smoke, African-Americans in the United States of Barbecue, right after this on Barbecue Nation. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation on the Barbecue Nation Radio Network, Sun BGI. Today we're talking with Adrian Miller in his new book, Black Smoke. But first, I want to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef from the heart of the Pacific Northwest. And it's the way nature intended. You've got a chapter in the book, and it's about Marie. I'm not even going to try to do the accent because I do (laughs) such a horrible job. Marie Jean or Marie John, which your name was at the end. That is such a cool story, Adrian. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you were asking me about these personalities that I found. And uh, I fell out of my chair when I found her story. So, uh, yeah, Marie Jean, if you, I took high school French. So sure, okay. That's the reason why I attempted. Yeah, but, or Mary John was the anglicized version. Um, but yeah, so she's what we would call a pit master today. And this was in 1840s Arkansas that she was doing her thing. Uh, and there's a newspaper article that comments on her superintending of barbecue. So that was the term that they, was used at that time. Because yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know this, but pit master is very recent, like 1950s. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so. Take that. You've got an enslaved African-American woman telling dudes what to do with barbecue. <laughs> um, she ends up buying her freedom, yes. and she runs a restaurant, and she stays in Arkansas. So the, the settlement was called the Arkansas Post. That was the earliest European settlement in that part of the country. And um, when she dies in 1850s, uh, the white newspaper eulogizes her. I know. Isn't I mean, that this incredible? This is astounding stuff. Yeah, that's astounding stuff, given the racial dynamics of the time. I mean— Black people were lucky to even get their first name mentioned. Um, so I just thought she was, I mean, we don't know enough about her, but I, I was able to cobble it together enough to just say, hey, this, you know, you got to dig this. Well, and I loved it. The fact that you said, you know, she saved her money and bought her freedom. And from, um, what was it? James Skull, I think it was. Wasn't was yeah. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you just didn't hear of those things. And in right. history, I mean, I'm probably some of them happened that we don't know about it and long blown away with the winds of time. But I just I just was fascinated with that and how she did it. And like you said, here she was uh, bossing around a bunch of dudes <laughs> telling them <laughs> how to cook, you know. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, the other reason why I love that story is, you know, barbecue is just really presented as an all boys club. And I just wanted to make the point now that at least in African-American barbecue culture, 
women have been involved from the earliest days. I mean, so many black-run barbecue joints are named after women. Um, the, the people, the guys who run it will say, yeah, this is my grandmother's recipe. And I can just tell you, my own family, my late mother, Johnetta Miller, she was the griller in chief. I I don't doubt it. And probably if you reached up, you probably got a wooden spoon across the knuckles or something. You know, <laughs> would be my guess like that. Yeah. Um, it's just It's just so fascinating because, you know, we see images in, in, in books and in history and movies, what have you. And yet in reality, these were very strong black women. I'm sure they were pretty much, they probably had a good sense of humor when they weren't mm-hmm. working, but mm-hmm. they were very serious and they were, I'm pretty sure they were in a tight ship would be my guess mm-hmm. like that. Oh yeah. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt, because we see that through the present day, and I don't think that's a recent phenomenon. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think so, but, you know, it was. The um, the other one that was more kind of regional for us up here was Hamilton. Um, yeah, and John he, Doc Hamilton, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. he was quite the character. I mean, yeah, talk about a, a guy that you would envision – um, maybe at the Cotton Club back in mm-hmm. New York, but do it Seattle mm-hmm. version. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting cat, too. Yeah. So he's from Mississippi, a uh, war veteran, um, but makes his way to Seattle. Not ex- exactly sure why, but that's where he lands. And, um, you know, he, he c- he's a good example of kind of barbecue's illicit side. Uh, because when you talk to a lot of these barbecue people, you found out some of these dudes were gamblers. Uh, or had, you know, like a side hustle sure. that may not have been legal <laughs> going on. And so what was interesting about him is that he get, he garners a lot of press. So again, at a time when African-Americans were often ignored, this guy is interviewed extensively. And, and you know, people are attracted to his, his gambling and other stuff. But uh, what cracked me up is that the guy is on trial, and he decides, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to send some barbecue to the yeah, not the jury. <laughs> I mean, I was like, this dude is great. This is great. They they probably didn't recommend that in law school, did they? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> the only thing, one, one thing I remember from law school, one of my professors said, Adrian, just remember this. If someone has to go to jail, make sure it's your client. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why I introduced you as a recovering attorney. <laughs> <laughs> some of my best friends are a couple of them. I should say not some of them, but a couple of them. And one in particular I grew up with and he's a great attorney and he's gotten me out of a lot of scrapes. But I have to need, I have to needle him once in a while, you know, just just for the fun of it. So yep. here's another standard question for you: What's the biggest thing that you learned in in researching and writing this book, Adrian? So it was really two things. So one is uh, just the Native American origins, how that is really the foundation of barbecue. Sure. Uh, because the story we get is often it's it's Native American, but it's really from the Caribbean, right? That's the story we usually get, right? But the way that barbecue was made in the Caribbean was so different than what emerged in the South. You know, this trench cooking, mm-hmm. butterfly whole animals. You know, it was different than cooking on a raised platform over a slow fire, which is what the you know, illustrations at least showed us from the Caribbean. So exploring that, as hazy as that history is, because as you know, these things weren't very well documented, was fascinating to me. And then the other thing was the extent to which African-Americans were barbecue ambassadors. I mean, I knew that African-Americans did a lot of barbecuing and stuff, but I, I had no idea, really, the extent to which they shaped this food that we love today. Oh, it's 
it's incredible the amount of it um i've spent a lot of time in the south uh, mm-hmm. as i told you you know what i used to do and stuff off the air there and always looking for a little roadside stand or a pit somewhere you know yeah. and i would yeah. get and i'd be working with somebody else say from n- new york or <laughs> uh seattle or something like that, and they weren't quite used to that i said well let's eat here you know <laughs> we'd pull in and they're kind of looking at me and we'd get done and they would go man that was great I said, well, just just stay tuned there's more to come you know like, yeah like that and I, yeah and i have to tell you that's one part of the culture i just really it's really hard to capture right because those things are so ephemeral right you right. don't know if that dude's going to be there on the side of the road that day and so um i give them a shout out but man i wish i had been able to talk to more of those characters uh too but it's just hard to catch them. Well, yeah, it's kind of like if you go back to Fanny Flags, fried green tomatoes, you know, and they've got the barbecues and they're, well, they're cooking a guy, but that's different. But, you know, <laughs> you know and, and I don't think I've ever come across that, hopefully. But, uh, yeah. but those little roadside stands, I remember in, um, oh, I remember in Kentucky and I remember in Texas, guy was taking me to lunch in Texas one time and we went to this, looked like a old, abandoned gas station well it wasn't abandoned and it was one day we went to one of them and it was seafood the next day we went to another one and it was barbecue and those are and that was 30 years ago adrian and i still remember both of those meals yeah i don't doubt it yeah don't doubt it they're 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 just incredible how does writing this book affected your cooking your personal cooking Oh, so I have to admit, I'm much better at eating barbecue than cooking it. So <laughs> yeah, That goes for most uh, people. <laughs> yeah, and that's a function of where I live. I have an enclosed balcony, so with the fire code, I can't really cook. I, li- I live in a high-rise condo. Sure. So when I do cook, I go to my dad's. He's got an old-school double-oil drum smoker. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm going to spend a lot of my summer uh, getting up to speed because I know I'm going to get a lot of cooking questions. Oh, you yeah, will. If I want to have street cred. Yeah. If yeah. I want to have street cred, I got to have some answers. Yeah. Well, um, to jump back for a second, you were talking about methods of cooking and you cover this in the book. And I'm not trying to cover everything in the book, folks, because I want you to buy it and read it because I think you should have this because there's some great historical stuff and there's great recipes in there. But you were talking about this, the sticks or the skewers. And we were yeah. talking about the crossover from the Native Americans and stuff. You know, if you come out here and you go up the Columbia River, for example, mm-hmm. or even over to the Warm Springs Reservation or up to the Umatilla, if you go to the Pendleton Roundup or any of those things, you're going to see them fillets of salmon strung out on these sticks, and that's how they smoke it and cook it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and when I was looking at that, I thought, you know, and then you made reference to them doing it um with the native americans and stuff and how it how it all kind of melts together and that's what really caught my eye right at the beginning of the book was like yeah yeah, man you know these guys out here have been doing it for two thousand years so right yeah Mm -hmm. so you're gonna try that in your condo (laughs) i don't think i'd get away with that one either but man i really (laughs) want to have that i'm just let me ask you does it taste heavily smoked uh, you have not not heavily heavily. It's got its own unique okay. flavor because they will put it on there and sometimes they'll salt it a little bit, but that's it. They don't really do much anything else to it, you know. And, okay. and, it, it, and it's alder alder wood. Is that what's cooked over? Well, uh, some alder, yeah, mostly alder. Okay. It's because it's a softer smoke. You know, they okay. don't really use. Sometimes they use cedar. I know the big thing is cedar planks, and but for me, mm-hmm. cedar's got too much oil in it. 
Um, and that can really permeate into the food. So I stay away from that as a barbecue guy, mm-hmm. but, uh, but the alder smoked wood is very soft. It's a very soft smoke and you don't really, it's not harsh when you eat that. It's very good. It's very tasty. So mm-hmm. if you come out this way, yeah. give me a call. We'll go find some somewhere for you. All right. You know, that's a deal. Yeah, we can do that. It's, uh, we have some good barbecue. A lot of it has, uh, come across. Uh, the states, the, the country, and, you know, located mm-hmm. here in the Northwest. And there's some of them that are very good. There's a guy in Seattle, Jack Timmons, who left Microsoft or something and has now become a, a huge barbecue entrepreneur in Seattle because of, of what he learned. He went to school. He went to school to learn. He went to Texas A&M and took their barbecue classes and did that. And then now he's an entrepreneur. Go figure. Um, Adrian and I are going to take another break, come back, wrap up the show. And I think I conned him into staying in for after hours. So uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes here on Barbecue Nation. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. Um, Adrian Miller. He's been a charm to talk to. He's great. His new book, Black Smoke, African-Americans in the United States Barbecue. We didn't t- touch too much on the, the competition barbecue. And I hope that people that listen to the show know that that's kind of two different worlds between going out to eat barbecue and, and cooking barbecue at home and then getting involved in the competition barbecue circuit. They, you know, they all have the word barbecue in them, but... <laughs> That's kind of where the similarities kind of stop on some things. So, yeah, is there yeah. Any- but, you know, com- competition barbecue is about getting that perfect bite. Right. And uh, I don't know. Do you at home? Do you use syringes? No. <laughs> during your cooking? No, I won't. I won't. And I know that because I've, you know, I've interviewed all those guys, Myron and <laughs> Tuffy and uh, oh, the list just goes on and on. But that's just something I could never wrap my head around was okay now we're going to inject pineapple juice into this brisket you know and the acid's going to break it down or whatever it's all good theory but i think it's a a lot of work for not much (laughs) i hear you brother i hear you brother yeah so when i when i'm in a barbecue store and they they, you know you walk down the wall adrian and you see all these little uh, gadgets and gizmos and there's the syringes and stuff. I said, Hey man, I, we had those when I was in the horse business, but we used them for something else. So, you know, <laughs> that's it. But, um, competition barbecue is, is interesting. Um, to me, I, I interview a lot of those guys. I know quite a few of them. And like you said, they are, they are focused on getting that one bite. And I know I've had a couple of them that'll say, you can eat my stuff at home. That's just the way I serve it at home. And I, and I believe them. I take them at their word, but most of the ones that I know you've judged barbecue competitions because you're a KCBS Mm -hmm. judge. I've been invited to judge some of them as a kind of a pseudo celeb. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't consider myself a celebrity at all, but you know, I talk on the radio, big deal. Um, But you know, it's like you can only take one bite. 
really mm-hmm. on some of that stuff because the, the the seasoning and that is so strong that um it's it's a whole world of difference i just want to say that so yeah absolutely and um you know in my book i, I explore well why aren't there more african-americans in competition barbecue both on the judging side and on the competition on the competitor side um, I don't have an answer for the judging side, but I know that on the competitive side, I think a lot of it just has to do with the barriers to entry because it, it just costs, you have to pay the fee, uh, you know, you have to have these equipment. So it just costs a lot yeah. to be involved in competitive barbecue. Um, and when local communities have a, a competition and usually it's low cost or no cost to enter it. And there was a time when a lot of newspapers, major newspapers in cities would sponsor these contests. African-American representation is no problem at all. Sure. Sure. Well, you're right. The cost is prohibitive. I mean, some of these guys got $150,000 worth of rigs and gear pulling mm-hmm. in, pulling into the competition. I mean, the entry fees aren't comparatively, they're low on the cost index. But mm-hmm. then, but then when they are cooking a $250 Wagyu brisket or whatever the cost is, you know, like that, it's like, yeah, you're not going to go down to um, Safeway and get one of those, but you know, gosh. But I, I yep. would I would like to see more. Maybe what we need to do is to make a competition that is, is really features African American in barbecue. Yeah. Do a few of those. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I think that could. I think there's a definite appetite for that. Um, but then there's a, also a cultural aspect of it because you know, at least talking to African American restaurateurs, some of them are just like, well, you know, I have nothing to prove. And then yeah. others are like, well, why should I give away my product for free or my intellectual property? Right. So uh, there's still some challenges on the on the other side of the equation. But yeah, I just I would just love to see more African American competing in barbecue. Well, I think it would be a good idea. And I got to tell you from a from my perspective, because people have asked me why don't why don't you compete? Mm-hmm. I spent years in competition in another event. Um not only competing, but judging and doing that kind of stuff. I don't feel like I need to compete anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just don't. And I don't want to be dragging my ass up and down the freeway with a truck and trailer, you know, and, and leaving on Thursday and coming home on Sunday or whenever. Cause I did that for right. years. I don't want to do it anymore. I enjoy doing what I'm doing. So. Yeah. No, I hear you. And you think about the typical worker, right? They usually have two weeks of vacation. So sure. unless your honey is all down with doing that, spending all that time in competition, <laughs> you know, usually they don't want to do that. Right. Um, and so, and, and to get the big money in competition barbecue, you have to go, you have to be in a lot of competitions, right? Because you have to qualify, blah, blah, blah. Right. So it's, a, it's really investment. So most of the people I find doing it either are associated with a restaurant that allows them to do it or they're retired, or they just have some kind of lifestyle that allows them to be on the road that much. Well, and it's more prevalent kind of from the Mississippi East, in a way, or maybe the Missouri East, uh, when I'm talking about rivers there, because out my neck of the woods, or out here on the West Coast, there's not too many competitions. There's some in California. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have the Pacific Northwest Barbecue Association, which is fine, but that's not quite at the level of KCBS, although a lot of members cross over. And I don't know how it is in the Rocky Mountain states where you live, but predominantly, if you read about them, well, they're, you know, they're in Baton Rouge this week or they're over in Houston or they're up in, uh, you know, Smith Rock or Fort Smith, Arkansas or whatever, you know, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a couple, we have actually quite a few contests in Colorado, more than you would think. 
Okay. But um, they tend to be in the mountain towns. And man, you talk about a challenge cooking barbecue at altitude. Oh, sure. Uh, especially given how cold it gets at night. I mean, that's not the easiest thing to do. No, thinner air, you know, mm-hmm. um, all that stuff. It's, I, I had problems in Colorado before the air got too thin and I fell asleep. So anyway. yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all good. What, um, where are you going next? What are you going to do next, Adrian? I mean, you just finished this and I know you're doing the press stuff for it, but what's next on the agenda for you? You know, I don't know. There, there are a few other books I want to write. Um, I'm thinking about kind of like a dining, a dining guide for difficult conversations. Like if you wanted to have a dinner series to, address some problem in your community, your workplace. Sure. Um, I'd love to write a book about African-Americans in early Colorado because we have some fascinating people here. One of them I wrote about in my book, Columbia Hill, Yep. Uh, in the Black Smoke book. And then um, I'm thinking about a history of African-American street vendors because I have their sheet music and the lyrics. So, you know, for somebody who can read music and sing, we can mimic what it was like to wake up in New Orleans in the 1850s and hear all these street cries as somebody's trying to get their attention. Wow. Adrian Miller, the name of the book is Black Smoke. Adrian is going to stick around for After Hours. I recommend this book. I really do. Usually I'm talking to cookbook authors and they, they you know, the recipe on page 25 is really good. This, <laughs> this whole book is really good. The history, uh, the cultural knowledge and all that. And Adrian, I really appreciate you taking time to be on the show with me. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's been great talking to you. So thanks so much. No problem. Uh, We're going to get out of here this week. We'll be back next week. Uh, Meathead will be back next week, giving you some tips for Memorial Day cooking. Uh, Until then, um, you know, keep your flame hot. Like I say here in the studio, turn it, don't burn it. For everybody here, thank you, and we'll see you next week. Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.